Welcome to Creative Bones, a podcast exploring what it means to be creative. I'm your host, Trish Johnston, a seasoned graphic designer of over 20 years and the creative director of my studio, Oath and Stone. I'm on a mission to understand creativity more. Are we born with it? Is it our environment? Or is it something that we can learn to be? I want to understand this crucial component of my craft better and how it impacts our ability to problem solve and make decisions. At the end of my life, I want to know that I've left my best creative ideas behind. So whether you've got a creative bone in your body or maybe none at all, join me as I have conversations with experts, mentors, colleagues and friends across a number of fields asking them about their version of creativity. Brie Element's brain is always switched to ideas on. She sees stories and creative opportunity everywhere, from the trolleys in the car park at Woolworths to a random piece of McDonald's rubbish on the shores of the Queanbeyan River. Plus, you can't miss her. She's usually wearing a tutu, high-top sneakers, and a hairdo that's higher and closer to God than anyone in the Queanbeyan Palarang regional area. I've known Brie for about six years now, and I knew from the first time we met that we were on track to becoming fast friends. But she's hit me in the gut a couple of times, questioning why I'm not confident to make a leap and reminding me of my greatness. But she's made me a better person because of it, leaving me to channel her unicorn glitter backpack, Playboy mansion photo shoot, suburban mum, Toyota Kluger driving energy. Bree's creativity has underpinned her 30-year career as an acclaimed writer and marketer, And in 2024, she's ditching work for a new project, a year that will see her live her life from a place of deep creativity. We talk about the role that her family played in celebrating her creativity as a child, the pressure to be creative, and where she gets her inspiration from. Heads up though, about halfway through, Brie mentions a friend who was a victim of child abuse. It's a beautiful explanation of how she was inspired to tell that story with authenticity and sensitivity. But if it's a tricky topic for you, check out the show notes and you'll find a timestamp where you can skip through that section. Like I asked Manny in our last episode, I asked Brie what she'd do with her time after she'd won $100 million and done all the sensible things like paying off debts, looking after her family and travelling. Please enjoy my chat with Brie Element. Mm, okay. I actually think about this question a lot because I ask it of my own clients occasionally. And once money becomes no object anymore, you don't have to think about it. What lies on the other side of that is what you truly want to do in the world. That's what you truly mm. want to do. So I get why you've asked this. So the first thing I would do is something around teen mental health. So whether that's a platform, a digital Mm. product, I'm really passionate about teen. I have teenagers and I have my own mental health challenges. So that would be a big thing. And I would contribute to that just through strategy and ownership, but I would really hand it over to young people to manage for other young people. I think, you know, we're trying to do mental health in a way that's adults for kids without understanding what it's even remotely like to be a teenager these days. It's just so different. So that would be my first thing. The second thing I would do is actually what I'm about to do this year. And Mm -hmm. so this is to live a life aligned with my purpose, which includes a deep, deep level of creativity. So my purpose, I'm sorry to go so woo-woo, so two minutes. Oh, no. 
You know I love the woo-woo. We're woo-woo sisters. (laughs) So my purpose, which I really, I kind of knew, I've known for a long time, but I couldn't articulate it and I did last year at the end of last year. And so my purpose is to be unapologetically myself in order to light the way for others to do the same. That's it. Amazing. And so being unapologetically Brie is about a deep level of creativity Um, and it is committing to realising a whole bunch of ideas that I've had sitting under the hood for about a decade. (laughs) So these ideas started coming to me so long ago and they've been sitting there for so long and I can't stop thinking about them. I'm at a point now where if I don't do anything about it, I'm going to lose my, like I'm actually going to lose my mind. So, um, out of you. Yes. Right. And so my purpose just constantly draws ideas and just, and I live eternally in this space of ideas. And so I don't know if you know Elizabeth Gilbert, but she's a creative who's, who's written a book called something big magic, I think. And it's how to unleash. It's just big magic. Yeah, I think it's big magic. Her her whole her belief is that ideas are out there for everyone to kind of grapple, like grab hold of, and and make real, and you know manifest into reality. And I've had these ideas that won't let me go, and I just have to do them, as bizarre as they are, and as weird as they are. And I hope that by doing them, it teaches me something, but also lots of other people something. I think that's almost why I've started this podcast because I felt that just that bubbling of creativity and I've got something to share, but I don't know what the right outlet is yet. And I I think the whole point of doing this series is so that I'm learning along the way and I'm talking to people like you and and people that I admire across all different industries and, and fields of knowledge and expertise so that I can learn more. And then by sharing that, I hope that someone else on their own creativity journey can benefit from that. So I'm so excited that you're joining me today because you're really, you're a storyteller in your heart, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And a bit of an entertainer, you know, a bit of a born entertainer. And so I've always kind of danced around the perimeter of who I want to be. There's, you know, a famous quote, don't dance around the perimeter of who you want to be, but I've always done that. And so now I'm just, I feel I'm just going all in, but I've always been a natural entertainer and storyteller. And I think that comes from just a deep, like being a deeply curious person, like I'm deter- mm. like I'm fascinated by the world, like everything in the world fascinates me. And so that level of curiosity, people can feel that, you know, they feel and, and come on that journey with me, which is what my storytelling is. It's like, oh my God, how did you do that? Or why? Or like, what? how did that happen? Or, you know, just these crazy questions that, yeah, just turn into a natural story. Yeah. Mm. So maybe I could ask you about your time at the newspaper, how you, you told these amazing stories about, you know, you discovered Canberra's best Chico role or the person who plays the Carillion and you were discovering all these amazing stories in our community and it was so hyper-local and I just loved that. 
But in your cadetship and the time that you're working up to that, surely there was a a story about your man gets stabbed at servo, woman reveals secret family after 10 years, or, you know, the, the very factual yeah. news reporting. So I feel, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like you do that less nowadays that you're doing Q News and you're doing your own work, and these creativity projects that are bursting out of you. But what was it like when you had to write those stories where you were reporting the facts and nothing more? Look, um, it wasn't amazing if I'm honest. So the thing with news is it's called news because it's new and it's kind of, you know, first person there, first on the scene, get the facts out, but be the first to tell the story. And it's always written in a very straight way. And here's what happened. It's very fact-based and there's no room for curiosity. I can't, I could never, you know, if I was doing the police rounds, I could never say to the cops, oh, like did, did, you know, if there was a car accident, like did the head fully come off the body? You know, like you can't, <laughs> yeah. you can't say that in a news story, but at the deepest level, I'm like, oh my God, like, how did that happen? And, you know, you say the police use a term, like there were injuries inconsistent with life, which means someone's dead. And so my brain, the creative brain just goes straight to, oh my God, like, ew, who saw this? And how many people are traumatized and how, you know, I would go deeply into feelings and emotions. So to write straight news just never interested me. Like when I was learning journalism, that's a part of what you do. So I had to learn that. And when you work for a newspaper, as a senior writer, you have to be versatile. So I have to be able to write that as well as do a really nice, beautiful piece about two 90-year-olds who fell in love with an, at a nursing home. So I, you have to be able um, in a media organisation to write in lots of different ways, whether that's straight news. Whether, mm. But you can see me like I'm... Um, you know, deep em- empath and I live with my heart on my sleeve and I'm so curious and I'm so out there. So I struggled with that, but I kind of had this initial training and then went back to journalism. I'm not going to lie, about 17 years later. So I kind of trained mm. as a journalist and then did marketing and PR and then went back to journalism. And when I started in the 90s, it's just put out a paper, no sense of who read it, no sense of how engaged people were. You might get a letter to the editor in response to your article, but no engagement. And when I returned to journalism 17 years later, like, wow, this was social media land. This was the ability to comment on stories. Everything was online. So I had this level of engagement with my audience that I'd never had. And it just blew my mind. I was like, oh my God, I can see people responding in real time. It was like instant validation to someone who's an attention seeker like me. So (laughs) at the Canberra Times, I I was a lifestyle editor and I I started doing what they wanted me to do, you know, which was really write more uh, what they'd always what they'd always done, which was write more about exhibitions and cultural institutions, and and I'm like well, lifestyles more than that. It's about our life in Canberra, and so little by little, I just started pushing the boundaries in terms of what I could write and what I could say. And the more I did that, and the more successful, because we could watch in real time how a story was going, and we did. We had a dashboard of what was being read at any given time. The more I did that, and the more my bosses who had been there for a long time and were really newspaper first over digital first, the more my bosses saw the engagement, the more they let me do what I wanted to. 
So it's just kind of test and learn and show them, I've got this idea, can I do it? Oh, that doesn't really sound like news to us, you know, looking for a chick, Canberra's best Chico role is not news. But people loved that because it talked about their suburb and the takeaway that they go to and there's a fierce kind of suburb, suburban rivalry in Canberra. So it was like, oh, Johnwood doesn't have the best Chico role, you know, Canberra does. So people loved it and yeah, and it wasn't a news story, but my editors were happy for it because it, you know, engaged readers. That's what it's all about. Have you always been this curious? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And always had a range of ways to express myself, you know. So always, I remember as a child drawing like architect plans, you know, like floor plans. And dad would bring home computer paper and I would write, I would write stories and poetry. And so I was, yeah, pretty deeply curious and pretty good at finding ways to express myself, you know, and, and not feeling, and I was thinking about little me and I'm like, gee, what a gorgeous, like creative spirit, you know, like there's no shame. There's no fear of judgment. There's no, you can be exactly who you are. And I have a mentor who's like, when you think back to who you are at five, that's who you are because that's the, that's the essence of you before society piled shame on you and fear of judgment. And, you know, he's like that when think about you when you were five and I'm like, oh my God, actually I'm pretty much like her. Like I wear a tutu and I wear (laughs) my clothes and, um, you know, I need more singing and dancing. She'd do a make up a dance for the family you know I don't know if you ever did that but you'd make up a dance oh, for your friends. Yes. and you yes. force them to watch in the lounge room and <laughs> we'd like to do a full circus we'd do a full theater performance and charge oh money goodness. and like, yeah 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 anyway so all of that stuff she did I'm busting to do now Mm. Oh. I I think about this a lot actually with with Angus and even Tori. Angus in particular is just so like he's 15 months. He's just unapologetically himself. He cries when he's frustrated, he laughs when he's happy. He doesn't think about my feelings. He doesn't go, "Well, I'm not going to have a tantrum because it might hurt mum's feelings." He just lives and breathes his emotions on the surface. And I think that is such a pure stage that they're in. Whereas we have that filter of we're an adult, we won't do that in public or we won't say that because that's inappropriate. But when they're so young, they're just, they're just them and there's no societal sort of impacts on them. Um, and I wonder, you obviously as a child were very creative and and curious, but did you have in your family or the people around you, were they supportive of that? Was your imagination celebrated as a child? Uh, a thousand percent. So I come from like two, certainly my mum's side, very creative and also my dad's side. So my pop was like this prolific poet who could just, he could oh, write wow. poetry. Yeah. And he was just like a minor from Captain's Flat, but he was also a writer. And um, on my mum's side, my mum's one of five girls and one boy. So she's got four sisters and they're all, uh, so two are artists, like painters, crocheting, knitting, sewing, fashion design. I come from these families 
who were creative and would never say we're creative. It was just like what, what they did. It was just part of like sewing's part of what they do or knitting or, you know, I grew up around people just making things. And so, it, yeah, it was just this really incredible space for doing whatever I wanted to and, you know, and I had all these different ways that I could do that. It was, yeah, it was amazing. And don't get me wrong, like they're both very white collar, uh, you know, sorry, blue collar, white now, but, um, you know, traditional Aussie families, but creativity was just a natural part of their lives. It's it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Mm, that's, oh, that's so cool. I can just imagine what Christmas would have been like or Easter or, you know, just what opportunities you have to just express yourself and, and that was supported at such a young age. One of the big questions that I want to look more into is whether we're born creative. And I think, especially in your case, I, I believe that everyone is born creative, but you have to want it and you have to work on it. So you can't just... I guess, get a free ticket, a free ride through um, uh, just being creative and just hoping for the best. Yeah. I think in your case, I'd be interested to see whether, number one, you think you were born creative, but also what if you were born into a different family who weren't poets and artists and, and celebrated creativity? What do you think? Um, I'm, I'm with you. I totally believe that we're all born creative but in in incredibly diverse ways like in you know however many people there are on the planet like seven billion different ways and so it's how you how you take what you've got and nurture it and grow it and use it and you know whatever that looks like is different for everyone you know and some people some families um are I was very lucky because I grew up you know, where that was just being creative was an inherent part of life. But I have friends who were deeply creative, you know, they're an, in fact, you know, my friend Bernie is an artist and she grew up in this environment that was the opposite, you know, it was like, you do your work, you go to work, you make money, you you know, it's not, and, and it was deeply injurious to her. So she always felt different, you know, in that way you you feel different to everyone else and you're made to feel shame for what, you know, you naturally want to express. Well, that's not um, a value, you know, a, a family who doesn't support your creativity is showing you that there's no value in creativity, which is like the opposite of what the planet needs. Um, they're showing you that we don't understand creativity, that there's no future in creative if you're a creative person and there's people who are naturally creative if they're not in the right environment start to feel shame about their creativity just by virtue of feeling different which is which is really sad and I don't understand because I was so lucky to have grown up in a family who could express themselves in a range of ways and who you know I, growing up I wanted to be an actress and that it was never said to me, no, you're not doing that. It was like, oh, you're talented. Yeah, you should do that. And that's really lucky. That's really lucky. Not many families would say that. <laughs> and with your kids as well, how do you, uh, on a, a daily basis, how do you support them creatively so they can have the same experience that you did growing up? Look, um, a little bit of it is just role modeling. So they just see me, you know, how I dress and what I do for work and, how outrageous I am, you know, outrageous slash embarrassing I am and how I've, you know, <laughs> pretty much got no, I've got no filter. So they see it kind of personified in me 
Um, it's really interesting because they're always, um, and this is my teenagers, always on a screen, they've really limited time and space to be creative. So mm. I, I, I literally, like I honestly can't say the last time I saw my son being creative or doing something creative. Isn't that sad? Hmm. I wonder as well, because I feel quite overwhelmed with something like Instagram, where there are so many ideas coming at you constantly. I feel overwhelmed that I'm on the back foot right from the beginning, Mm -hmm. but I'm Mm -hmm. being inspired at the same time. So the input is an all-time high, but the output is probably, like you just said, the output is actually less. So we're spending more time with the input and not actually walking away and going, okay, how did those 10 things I just saw that were just like annihilated my brain, how does that make me feel? What can I learn from it? And how's that going to influence me creatively? Do you find that's what's happening with them? Like no doubt, no doubt. I mean, they're overwhelmed consuming content and other people's creativity and there's a real dopamine hit with that that, you know, I – they just don't give themselves the time and the space to be creative. If I said to my son, and so he's 16, um, get off that game and I sat him down with a sketch pad and a pencil, he'd come up with something phenomenal. But it's just that simple mm-hmm. act of moving away from this desk to this desk where there is nothing distracting you. Um, yeah, they, my experience is they don't do it anymore. They just don't do it. And my daughter's the same. She doesn't do it either. Yeah, it's really sad. So that's really interesting. I think with our type of creativity, I guess we've grown up with no computer and no phone to screens. And like we remember a time where you had to call someone on the landline or you there was no FaceTime or anything. I remember the first video camera that we had was just revolutionary and the internet was slow. And I remember a time where if you wanted to meet your friend at the movies, you had to call up, arrange a time, tell them where you were going to meet. And if you weren't at that time and place, then you missed out. There was no way of getting in touch. First of all, you had to call the cinema and see what time the movie was on. Yes. Or look (laughs) in the paper. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's an Interesting. So so we've got sort of these analog platforms that we were working with. Now we've adapted into digital platforms, whereas um, people, I guess, in your kids' generations and Angus's generation, I'd be horrified if he didn't know how to, like he could type his name before he could write it. Like that seems absurd to me, but I'm sure it's a possibility. So I really wonder how that almost lack of incubation period where you consume content, you think about it, you go away, you have a walk, you write some notes, and then you create something for yourself. I wonder how that's going to be different with our kids and how it was second nature to us where you'd have a conversation with someone and then you'd go home and you'd sleep on it and then you'd think up things and then come back the next day and go, I thought about what you said and now I have 10 more ideas. Because I think with the two of us, we obviously – we have these creative ideas that are just bubbling to the surface after, you know, a certain amount of time in our industry with our craft. We're like, oh, we're leveling up and I just need to express myself 
in a certain way. Yeah, it um the scary when I first started working for a digital agency, I would say to my clients, and it's true, kids know how to swipe open an iPhone and use it before they can tie their own shoelaces. Hmm. And digital is just a whole other conversation, but you're asking really, really important questions about what is the future of creativity when I might be old school, but I see creativity really as time and space. So whether that's physical space or space away from the other things in your life to allow ideas to come in, to allow you to get go inside instead of being outside, um, and that takes time and, and, you know, as a creative I need to be alone a lot. And so my kids don't do that. They're never alone and they certainly don't know the practice of, of going inside or give them, giving themselves time just to create ideas or just to let whatever comes, come. So, yeah, you know, and, and, if, and if that's not a thing in future, how how will creatives come up with ideas and execute those ideas and you know and why would they bother when ai has done everything they need done anyway well where do you find that you're at your most creative i know you get down to the beach a little bit is it when you are on your own and you have time to sort of contemplate and and get fresh air or do you do it best in a group or tell me a bit more about that I think um like ideas just come at me all doesn't matter where I am and so I've started doing a bit of a um I don't know if you've ever seen that show Kath and Kim but um Kath Kath marries this guy called Kel and Kel has a um, recording device and he records, he does voice recordings like on, on ideas for sausages because he's a butcher. Yes. And so he'll, he'll, he'll combine like two ingredients. He'll be like pork and fennel or something, right? I've started doing that. <laughs> well, I'll be in the car and something amazing will come to me and I just get out my phone and I record it now. And then I put it into Trello as like a place to action all this stuff, which I never do, but I want to capture those ideas. Um, So they come at me from wherever. I actually am most creative when I'm around other people. So I feed off the energy of other people and attacking ideas together and I love building on what someone else says. And so today, for example, I've just come off a Zoom call, which was phenomenal. Uh, It's a group I'm in called the them future group and just the energy of being around those other women the most amazing idea for a video came to me (laughs) as like a download Mm. after that group and so yeah and it's bizarre and I'm like how am I going to do that but all these ideas for videos are banking up I have no idea how to film or edit or anything but I just know I need to star in them and bring this to the world. Do you think, um, I know that we surround ourselves with creative people, but uh, one of the reasons why I started this podcast was a client of mine asked me, how do you just come up with ideas? I say a word and you think of a color. How do you do that? And I was like, well, I don't know. I just, I just do it. And I'm sure very much the same for you. But I've realized that pe- that's not normal. People don't, not everyone thinks like that. So, for example, I was watching The Wizard of Oz and um, I think, the, oh, what was the song in the beginning when she's meeting all the 
um, somewhere uh, over the, the rainbow. Or... Oh, the yellow no, brick road. When... Yellow brick road. Yes, and it's so she's meeting all the different, um, you know, the lollipop guild and the mm-hmm. um, the the people, the museum and the mayor and everything. And I thought, oh my gosh, there are so many spin-offs. The opportunity for let's learn more about the lollipop guild and um, who else is in the hall of fame with a bust and how did they build the Emerald City and all this. And my brain was just going crazy, all from just watching this movie. And I just thought, well, I don't think everyone, does anyone just sit there and watch the movie? <laughs> like, or I'm just sitting here and these ideas are exploding from me. But um, do you have anyone in your life that maybe doesn't understand how these ideas come to you or are they the type of people who can sit and watch a movie and have no follow-up questions? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think, honestly, I think I'm going to call you and I out as being the weird one. Like, not weird, but it's a superpower. <laughs> it's a superpower. And it's why you mm. do what you do and why I do what I do. People pay me good money to be creative, you know, to use that because it's actually really rare. I think we need to acknowledge that. But I'm like you. I will I will take a single thing and pick it to pieces. And it's what made me good at PR is because I could take a story and sell it in 50 different ways because I could take one thing and pick it, you know, like to pieces. And I do. And I'm the same as you. And you must be like me where people say, how does your brain come up with this? Like how, how do you, how did, what, how did you think of that? Or what out of that story made you question this? Or, you know, it's, and, and, you know, it's, it's such an, such a, um, it's a really timely question for me because a big part of what I'm doing this year is launching online courses. So I want to share what I know and have learned about digital marketing and content and storytelling. I want to share what I've learned about spirituality and turning up as your highest self um, in every aspect of your life. But I also want to share how it feels to be such a, 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 you know, to be as creative as this. And so I'm like, but how do I teach that? Like, is it actually is it a skill? Is it a personality trait? Is it a value? Is it a, like, is it inherent and you literally cannot teach it? I don't know. You know, it's a huge question. It's like, I know how to teach marketing and I know how to teach content and I know how to teach about spirituality. I don't know how to teach creativity. Any idea? And that's really interesting. Well, that's when I started a podcast to try and find out. So um, I have exactly the same questions and I love chatting to you about this because I think a lot of people just decide that they're not creative or as Mm -hmm. a very young age, they haven't had the support that you or I have had to celebrate our creativity or they were told that they weren't very creative. So they've believed that their whole life. But I think as soon as you try to organize a holiday where you're meeting at the movies or what movie you're going to watch or even um, you don't hire a movie anymore. But I remember the negotiation skills that you needed when a bunch like my friends and I would go to the video easy and we'd look at the new releases and then we'd come back and we'd cross-reference all the movies we wanted to see and then have we got two new releases and five weeklies and just this strategy planning. Um, I think as soon as you try to solve problems like that, you're a creative person. And I think it's about 
unlocking the realization in people that like, you don't think you're creative, but you just did five things in the last hour that are actually pretty creative. So those are the questions I'm trying to answer, but it's, it's great to hear that you have those questions too. So we can explore that. (laughs) So Mm. I'm with you when you, whenever you solve a problem, you're being creative. Whenever you're forced to think in a different way, whether, you know, about something or come at it from a different perspective or when you, you know, this isn't working so I have to think about this differently, aren't you being creative? Mm. Isn't that what it is? I think you are. Yeah. Yeah, I do when's, when's the last time that you had to really think on your feet? Mm. So for me, thinking on my feet is when I'm solving problems. Mm. It's solving problems in real time is thinking on your feet. It's like, okay, mm. that didn't work, what we do, and that ability to pivot. And not everybody has that or pe- some people find it hard. And, you know, a big, I'm massive on innovation because it is creativity in its essence. It's like how do we do this better? And so it's potentially amping up what you're doing or doing it differently. And so then you get to that level and it's like, well, how do we do it even better? And how do we do it even better? So innovation is progression, which is ultimately which creativity drives. So the last time I had to think on my feet was this morning when um, I had to pay for petrol and my phone was dead. Oh, wow. Yeah. So what did you do? All my phone. (laughs) And then I couldn't (laughs) ring anyone for help. So I just said to the attendant, um, do you have a charger? No, he didn't have a charger because I've got the new iPhone 15, that outlet. And so I said to him, can I, I leave something of value and I'll come back? And that worked. I think I saw that in a movie. It's like leave your diamond yeah. bracelet then you know, yeah, they know you'll be back. <laughs> so I left my other pair of glasses. Oh, so I valuable. You knew, knew I'd come back. Yeah. Oh my god. I, mean, I was that's lucky. So... I was really lucky I got him, but um he let me do it. Like he knew I'd come back. I'm like, I can't I can't, you know, see without these to do my work. So I'll definitely be back. And he believed it. And so I came back with a card, you know, old school. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, when you're faced with a brief, similar to what you just said, I guess, I, I think briefs happen in life every single day. So the brief this morning for you was your phone is dead. You don't have a charger. You need to pay. What do you do? And that was a brief that was presented to you. So you're obviously, you're being creative, you're thinking on your feet. Do you think the same as me in terms of identifying that that is a brief in the same way that you get a brief from a marketing client or a digital client? And do you feel like you're solving briefs all day or do you separate work and life? Uh, Trish, do you think of things that happen to you in life as briefs? <laughs> a little girl, bit. That, ain't not, that is not normal. <laughs> a little bit. Well, all similar to, I guess, the petrol thing this morning, but, you know, if Lackey comes to me and says, what should we have for dinner? I'm thinking, well, you know, we could have Indian, we could have Thai. Wait, no, you're allergic to that. We could get Zambreros. Do I do it on Uber Eats? Do I get it delivered? Is it raining? Actually, I'll get it delivered because someone else can drive it to. I guess that's what I'm talking about where it is the problem solving. Do you keep traditional briefs for at work and then life is just 
what happens or are you like me where everything is just a brief? So the thing with the work that I do is I'm I'm given one brief at the beginning of the year, which is grow out our Facebook or Instagram reach and go. That's it. <laughs> and so That's then amazing. I know what they're paying for is my superpower in terms of how will I do that? And how will I use my creativity in my everyday work to achieve that single goal? Mm. So I'm, and that's, that's different to if you're a designer or if you're a, so I work less project by project and more annual KPI. Mm. Does that make sense? So I'm not, I'm not starting again. I'm not starting again every like kind of month or two months on a new project I'm working for the same client, doing the same thing over and over again in a new way every time. So the brief from um, my client Zango is um, help us be engaging on social for two reasons, one, brand awareness and engagement, and two, to drive leads to the website. So they're my two KPIs is awareness and engagement and drive traffic to site. And if you think about both of those KPIs are really measurable. So you can see on, on, on Facebook and Insta um, what engagement you're getting and then they can see from the back end stats how much traffic that's driving. And that's my job and I'm left to my creative device to do whatever I want to make sure that happens. You know, of course, there are some restrictions. So, a brand voice and understanding of brand voice and brand pillars and keeping it, you know, there are things I can't talk about. There are, I can't swear, you know, like all of these things. But um, they're paying for me to bring my ideas and my personality to their brand. And it's the same with my other clients. So, Brand Canberra and also Capital Airport Group. Uh, it's the same. It's like, here's the result we want. We know you as a well known creative and writer and storyteller, um, get us the result we want. It's phenomenal. Amazing. Like the trust that your clients have given you, and maybe that's that you're attracting the perfect clients for you who aren't micromanaging your creativity. So that's amazing that the KPI is so general that your creativity can really thrive within that. And they're not saying specifically, we want a campaign about this. We just need to drive traffic to the website and come back with an idea. I'm sure you've had clients in the past who have managed you a bit closer and maybe weren't the right for you. Do you find that your creativity just thrives in that situation of just being let loose on a brief? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it becomes a bit of a discipline, you know, so I get um, really good at just yeah, at, at making it a discipline, which is really hard when you, for an artist or a creative, or it's almost like um, commercial creativity, which a lot of artists find really hard. You know, it's like I can't deliver to a deadline and for a specific price that, you know, goes against everything. I've learned to commercialize my creativity, my art. And don't get me wrong, so I've been in comms and PR for nearly 30 years. And it's taken me to this point to have the profile I've got, to know the clients that I want, to align my clients with my values, which I've done. And my highest value is freedom. 
that's just Brie, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's Brie the marketer or Brie, you know, if I had turned out an accountant, my highest value is freedom. And I've actively sought clients where I now happily have clients who allow me that freedom. And that's bliss. Mm-hmm. That's a place to get, like, it's, it's, it feels amazing. I'm very lucky. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Being creative is a KPI of our industry. And number one, do you feel the pressure to be creative? You know, if someone sees you walking down the street and you're like, oh, Bree, she's so creative. And that's the label that you've been given. But also what happens when you're not feeling creative and you still have a deadline? What do you do? Mm. Um, Okay. Good point. So first thing is people never say to me, oh, you're so creative. Like people just never say that to me because you can see it's inherent. You can see it like it's in the way I dress. It's in the way I communicate. It's in like everything in my life is almost a mini piece of art. That's, that's just my natural personality. And it comes from that place of curiosity. So people never go, Oh, you're so creative, Brie. They're just like, they just watch what I do like this. Cause you know, (laughs) And, and they love it and they want more, you know, they want more of it or, or to learn to be like it themselves. And I'm not, that's not from a place of ego. That's just from a place of just attraction of just living the creative life. It's so powerful and people love it, but don't know how to do it or they want it so badly, you know, which is why I feel a need to teach it somehow. But how do I teach it anyway? Um, mm-hmm. People don't say to me, um, you're a creative, you know, you're creative. I don't feel pressure to be creative. I just am creative. I just am. It's just part of my being. Mm. And the other part is, um, if I'm having a down day or like a bad mental health day, and I'm not in a place where I'm feeling creative energy, I will do something that inspires me. And that's generally listen to music. So every time I listen to music, something happens, something in me changes. So it's, it's experiencing someone else's creativity um, helps light up my own. And I'll always be, start to be inspired by another form of art. You know what I love the most? I love watching documentaries about people and their art. So like, you know, the Taylor Swift entry and how she writes her music and what her life is like. Um, and I love, you know, that Eminem movie, Eight Mile? Yes. Him, like <laughs> writing his poetry, his poetry on his hands and on bits of scrap paper on the bus. And I just love, yeah, real stories of other people and and their creativity and how they get ideas and how they um, make it manifest, make it real. I just find that Mm. so, it's so fascinating to me. Maybe that's our shared curiosity because I like that too. I much prefer the, I like say watching a movie, but then I'll go and do the behind the scenes and how they did the special effects and um, how they came to the the characters and how they got into character and documentaries behind the scene. And I wonder whether that's, we want to know the process. So the finished product is amazing, but tell me how you got to that. And how did you feel about that? How did you think on your feet? Was there something that you'd planned earlier, but then something happened and you had to pivot? So I, I can really relate to that because I like to know the intricacies of why people made decisions behind the scenes. Same. Yes. A thousand percent, a thousand percent. And so with Eminem, I'm like, how can you write poetry like that? Just like, 
how and then I read something that he's like literally the only rapper who does like four syllable choruses or it was something like that I don't know what it was but it was a skill that only he had do you know what I mean it's Mm -hmm. like he was born with this talent and he fully realized that talent by you know executing and delivering music consistently for decades like I love that you're born with this you know this creative talent that only you have in the world and you realized it and shared it with the world like that's just like phenomenal to me that's self-actualization that's Mm -hmm. like your highest potential yeah Yeah. so listening to music and talking to people in a group situation and collaborating tell me about a time where you say we're telling a story or doing something creative and you looked to areas outside your industry or outside something conventionally creative to get inspiration or were you inspired by a song lyric or even the shape of a sign by the side of the road? Is there an example of where something sort of out of the blue really inspired you to help you on on the journey? Oh, um, that's a good one. Yes. I'll preface it by saying that I'll see something and it will always inspire something new. You know, like I'll see a font on Mm -hmm. a sign on a motel and that will inspire something new, you know, a story or a listicle or a video or a, so I'm, you know, I'm constantly surrounded by new ideas. One of the things I did, I, I was writing a really important and quite hard story about a friend of mine who'd been molested as a child. So sorry, not molested. He was groomed and he was, and in fact, in a relationship with his abuser for many years from being an eight-year-old child. And it happened at Queanbeyan Pool. And so I was writing, I wanted the start of the story to feel like innocence and to feel like um, what it was like to be in Queanbeyan in the 80s at the pool, you know, just being a kid and being yourself because that's where he was first attacked. And I just wanted to start with this sense of he was in this safe environment that we have all been in and he was preyed upon. Anyway, I was like, I was really struggling because it's a hard subject matter. It was a friend of mine, but I really wanted to give people a sense of what it was like. And so I just went back to our old photo albums and I remember just sitting in the lounge room, just flipping the pages of an old photo album and just by doing that, I could see our old Kingswood station wagon and I could feel the sunshine and it really took me back to that place that I knew that I was never going to get to if I just sat in front of the computer and tried to type it. And so I used parts of what my what our real lives were like. So, you know, the kind of, I think I described the day as the kind of day when mum's too hot to cook and so that you get chip sandwiches or Devon sandwiches or, you know, it was that kind of hot day <laughs> that people understand. Hmm. So that experience, it's such a sensory one that I think a lot of us would have recognized. Like for me, going to the pool meant getting a killer python afterwards and the taste of it and the feeling of just being wet and then having to put a towel down on the car to drive home and you're a bit sticky and uncomfortable, but you had a killer python. And I think that's when we use sensory um 
imagery or just associations, especially in our childhood, it connects with so many people. And I think that was a really great way to maybe connect with people who haven't had the same experience as your friend, but you remember what it's like to be in that safe place where the sun was shining and you're at the pool with your friends and maybe there was a breeze. And you got that all from just flipping through photo albums and thinking about what you were doing back in the 90s in Queanbeyan and how life felt. Correct. Yeah. Mm, yeah, it's beautiful for a photo album. But I will listen to music. I love movies. I love reading. Like reading is a big way that I stay inspired or get new ideas. So it's yeah, experiencing other forms of art that really that revs up my creativity. Mm, that's lovely. Do you think, um, I know we spoke about technology and younger people and how their creative experience is going to be in the years that follow. Do you think that there's something that you want to challenge in your industry? Um, Do you think there's something that needs to change for us to be able to be more creative other than I guess the the digital conversation, but what do you personally want to shake up? In my industry or just in general? (laughs) Well, maybe both. Tell me both. So I think um, I'm a natural. You want to shake up everything. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a natural innovator and and because I'm curious, I always ask, is this the right way to do it or how can we do it better? um, And the other part of that is I'm, I'm obsessed with the future. So I'm obsessed with what life is like in maybe 30 or 40 years. And you know how some people have had a past life? I've had a future Mm. life. Wow. So I already know what life is like. And there's room for creativity but in formats that don't exist yet. So there's room for... So tell me more about that. So What what do you mean by you've had a future life? So one day I just knew what an entire day of my life looked like in about, I'm going to say about maybe 2070, maybe even further than that. So um, Mm -hmm. I'll be dead by then. So it's a future life. It's another life that I've had, which is super woo-woo and super weird, I know. But one day I just knew everything that existed in this future life from the second I got up from showering and doing my makeup to what happened when I got home at night. I was a suburban mum, but I was single. Um, I ha- we could spend an entire hour talking about this. I could take you through my entire day mm. of what happens. So what happened at the end of the day was I travelled virtually and I didn't wear glasses or a headset. It was, it was kind of connected to my brain. I know that sounds so weird, um, but... <laughs> Um, quantum quantum <laughs> computing will get there. And so I tried yeah. to um, an entire different reality that had to have been created by someone else, human. Mm. That makes sense. So it's, like, so you game, had- it's like gaming, but um, but you're fully immersed in this whole new world. So you had this vision of, um, say, in 2070, you'll be long gone and you just had this was it a, a split second, just a vision of what this future life was? Has it influenced anything that you do now yes. differently because you've had that vision? So it's almost like an episode of Back to the Future where I now know what exists mm. and I can go back in time and invent it because there are so many things that don't exist or that they half exist and so it's totally affecting my life now. I've got a startup idea 
that existed in this future that doesn't exist now, but which makes total sense in the travel space. Yeah. And, wow. you know, and my shower in the future exists now partly, but only for really rich people. But in the future, it's a space that everyone has. Oh, no, this sounds really crazy, but. Yes, but this is a conversation that you and I can have as creative people. And I'm like, no, that's not crazy. Well, that's not, you know, what I find as well. And this is sort of what I was talking to before about, you know, just sitting and watching a movie and and enjoying it, which seems ludicrous because of how our brains work. But we're watching Grey's Anatomy at the moment. And I look at Lackey and I go, this is a HR nightmare. Isn't it? That's unprofessional. That's inappropriate. That's workplace bullying. Where's HR in this? And he's like, just (laughs) enjoy it. And I'm like, the amount of PTSD, the payouts that like the characters in Grey's Anatomy should be millionaires by now with the amount of trauma they've experienced in the hospital. Oh God. No, No one's talking about the HR side of things. And I'm like, am I getting older or is this just how my brain works? So I'm thinking um, when you say things like I've seen my future life, I'm like, oh yeah, that's awesome. Tell me more about it. Not, yeah, yeah, of course, okay, yeah. It's <laughs> been great chatting to you. Thank you so Moving much. On. Oh yeah. my goodness. No, but I think, and I think that's why it's important that we we surround ourselves with creative people who egg you on with these ideas. And you're like, you've seen the future. What are you going to do? Can I get in on it too? What are we going to do? How are we going to make this happen? And then it's like this this ball starts rolling about all this innovation and and you've got that support system around you, much like you had your family not poo-pooing the ideas that you had and you had your architectural plans and the poet in your family and your aunties and everything and just you were this beautiful little incubation center for creativity. So I think as children we need to do that, but also as adults, we need our creative tribe around us to egg us on with ideas. Right. I feel so lonely in my creativity. Do you feel lonely? Yeah. Yeah. Um, a little bit sometimes. I mean, I'm very happy in my own company and I'm very, um, but that's to my detriment sometimes in terms of my creativity because I need to push myself to ask someone else, what do you think about this? Or I'm stuck on this idea, how would you solve it? And because I'm working at home in my studio or I, um, I've i got Carly and Elle to bounce ideas off, but I sometimes forget that I really need to do that. And every time I do get more collaborative and feel less lonely in my creativity, there's always a benefit to it. And I always think, oh, I should do this more. So do you mean loneliness in terms of the ideas you have or loneliness in a collaborative sense? Um, Definitely, I think just the collaborative sense. I just love that banter. Yeah, it's collaboration. So it's just the banter of what about this? What about this? What about this? Like talking to you as another creative who thinks the same way and who gets it and who is as curious as I am, this is like, this is the happiest I've been in months. Cause I'm like, oh my God, mm. someone gets it and she's validating me and I'm loving it. I get a lot from it. And so when I'm just sitting at my desk with a blank computer screen writing a story, it's like, oh, this is lonely. I think this is funny, but is it? I wish I had Trish here that I could, you know, just say it to and see if she liked it <laughs> or thought it was funny. Yeah. So. 
it's it's really just that commercial creativity like the the downside of it is in a perfect world we'd love to get the money and and get a brief like the amazing clients you have who trust mm. you to mm. um to deliver because you've proven yourself time and time again but at the end of the day you've got a deadline you've got a budget so you're either out of hours or you're out of money so where's the balance with that yeah um the last question that I want to ask you. So when we're at the pub and you're dead and we're all talking about how much we love you, what <laughs> what are we going to be remembering about Brie? I think just how I made people feel. And there is a famous quote that's like, I think it's Maya Angelou, which is, you know, when you die, people don't remember a thing you said or what you did. They just remember how you made them feel. And I'm like, if I can, yeah, if people can remember me as, you know, a, you know, a light in their lives and good energy, then that's it. Mm, I love that. I really just, um, I had this conversation with someone the other day about, um, sounds morbid to be talking about your funeral, but I mean, you want to know if the whole head came off in the car. So I think I'm yeah, in that's right. Place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, I said to this person, just say your goodbyes, cremate me, put me in a jar, take me to the pub and have a good time. Because yeah. I think kind of along the lines of both of us being very deep empaths, we care about the effect that we're having on people around us, whether it's creatively or emotionally or the impact of our words and our designs and um, the choices that we're making. And I know that sometimes I, I'm concerned about how other people feel or whether I'm making them uncomfortable or whether I'm saying the right thing in terms of the solution for the brief. And I think about, even though it's the one party that I won't be invited to really, or I won't be invited, but I think about people sitting at my funeral and choking back tears because they don't want to cry in front of everyone. And, and that horrible silence at a funeral where no one wants to shuffle and everyone's upset, but there's this tension in the room. And I just want to take that away. I just don't, I don't want people Want people, you know, people are going to be sad, but at the end of my life, I want you to think about the good times that we had. I think it's a creative empathy thing where you want to go through this world doing your best and putting your best ideas out there, but you also want to have an impact on other people. You want to change other people's lives because it's not just the ego. It's not like, hey, look at Brie, how great is she? Look at all these ideas she came up with. People are going to be like, oh, remember when I I was having a hard time and I called Brie in the middle of the night and then she helped me problem solve. Yeah. yeah. Well, all I want them to say is, oh, remember how funny Brie was, lol, and then move on. <laughs> I know. You, you think about your funeral way too much. <laughs> I know. I've spoken to Michael Bauer about it actually. And he's told me that he hopes that he won't be around for my funeral, but um, I want some of those. Um, I'd like a hologram that says it's at the door. And as people come through this, it goes like, nice to see you. Thanks for coming. Oh, you came. Really? Didn't expect that. <laughs> this is the actual bed. Why, why haven't you invented that? Because I want that too. I know. And see this, we're in a safe place and I know that you're already thinking up those um, at the car yards, those like inflatable flailing arm oh, yeah. mm -hmm. colours and no one's allowed to wear black. Yeah. Yes. So, oh, my God. Um, yes. Yeah. Same. But in saying that, I could have this exact same conversation with someone else and they just think I was cuckoo. So um, I'm very grateful to have a friend like you <laughs> who we can talk about the intricacies of being creative and be less lonely 
in our creativity as well? I think that was a really great question. Can you just make sure that my coffin um, like has sprinkles on it, like a donut? Yes. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) I know you will. I'm going to hand over the entire event to you because you get it. Oh my gosh. And you'll do it how I want it. I think I'd be rolling over in my grave if I had horrible funeral stationery. (laughs) I think I'd haunt whoever did it. Well, thank you so much for joining me, but can you tell our listeners the best place to find out more about you or experience your creativity? I love your Instagram. So can you tell them um, where's the best place to find you? Yeah, I'd love to. So I am literally just Brie Element on Facebook, Brie underscore Element on Instagram, and my brand new website, which is coming soon, BrieElement.com which has all of the branding designed by the gorgeous Trish about four years ago (laughs) is launching soon and it's going to have courses on marketing and spirituality and hopefully creativity. We can, if I can work out how to teach it, then I'll happily teach it. So, Mm. Oh my gosh, sign me up. That sounds amazing. Thank you so much, Brie. Thanks, Trish. I'm sure you get it now, why I love Brie so much. Her energy is contagious, and if she was a house decorated with Christmas lights, I just saw all of them on full brightness as she explained how creativity is within every cell of her body. It became clear to me throughout the interview that we hold back our creativity for fear of what people might think of our ideas. It's easy enough for Brie and I to share our wacky ideas and build on each other's concepts because we're in similar company. But when we stay lonely in our creativity, that spark gets dim. Bree's at a point in her life where she wants to be who she is and live in complete creative freedom. And I think it's worth remembering that you can't do that in isolation. If you have a creative friend that you haven't spoken to in a while, why not send them a quick text and tell them about that floofy dog that made you smile? Or whether you're a fellow movie watcher with very practical follow-up questions, find me on Instagram at Trish Johnston with a T and an E, and we can start a whole group chat about it. If you've learned something new today, remember it by telling a friend. Or even better, share the whole podcast so they can listen in too. Subscribe where you love to get your podcasts and you'll never miss an episode. So until next time, I'm Trish Johnston and you've been listening to Creative Bones. Creative Bones.